Well, howdy, neighbors. Commissioner Sid Miller here. The Texas Department of Agriculture's Farm Fresh Network connects local producers with schools to provide fresh food for our students. If you're a farmer, rancher, producer, sign up at farmfreshnetwork.org. I'm Mason Parrish with Parrish Ranch in Cut and Shoot, Texas. You're listening to the latest news in Texas agriculture on Texas Ag Today. Welcome to Texas Ag Today, a daily look at the latest news in Texas agriculture. Texas Ag Today is produced by the Texas Farm Bureau Radio Network with the largest farm news team in the Lone Star State. Now here's the host of Texas Ag Today, Carrie Martin. Hello, Texas. It's always great to have you along for another episode of Texas Ag Today. All you've got to do is jump on in with me and buckle up. We're going to take a ride around the Lone Star State as we cover the most important industry in this greatest state in the nation, Texas agriculture. In the news today, the White House vetoed a bill that would rescind recent restrictions placed on Texas farmers and ranchers protecting the lesser prairie chicken. We'll have more on that coming up to kick off today's show. My name is Kerry Martin. I'm your host along with the largest and most experienced farm news team in the Lone Star State. And we're all standing by to bring you the latest news in Texas agriculture. From the piney woods of East Texas to the rocky ranges of the Trans-Pecos. And from the Panhandle down to the Rio Grande Valley. In the Texas High Plains, the combination of a very wet spring and a very dry summer appears to have elevated our wildfire threat. I'm James Hunt and we'll talk about that on Texas Ag Today. Sustainable farming when water is scarce. I'm Tom Nicoletti and I'll have comments from a Texas Panhandle farmer on the sustainable farming practices that he employs to better grow his crops and protect the environment. Just ahead on Texas Ag Today. This is Jim Hearn in the Rio Grande Valley. Extreme South Texas gets a short break from the hot weather. Valley producers are getting ready for onion planting. We'll have those stories and more in today's report. We'll have those stories plus Texas wildlife news and a complete look at the markets all coming up. The White House vetoed a bill passed by both houses of Congress which would rescind the recent restrictions placed on farmers and ranchers protecting the lesser prairie chicken. Sigrid Johannes, Associate Director of Government Affairs for the National Cattlemen's Beef Association, says the new rules and regulations are unnecessary. So the lesser prairie chicken is a species that ranchers in Texas and across that sort of southern Great Plains region have been working to conserve for, you know, more than a decade now. And folks, you know, have sunk a lot of time and money into these voluntary conservation efforts to preserve habitat for the species and to support stronger population numbers. I think it's really a shame that you're getting this slap in the face from Fish and Wildlife saying that those efforts are not enough and that they want to impose this top-down approach from the federal government. Here in Texas, the bird is found on pasture and rangelands in the Panhandle and Southern Plains. Johannes says Texas cattle producers have done a great job enhancing habitat to support it. 
They're a species that gravitates towards rangelands. You don't tend to find them in cropland. You don't tend to find them in some of those, you know, more urban sprawl or developing areas. You tend to find them out where cattle are grazing. You find them in rangeland ecosystems. And there's uh, no science to back up the assumption that they can't uh, coexist with cattle grazing in those areas. We tend to see them coexisting successfully. And ranchers, again, by cultivating that habitat, do a lot to support the bird. Opponents of the stronger restrictions say it not only hurts ranchers, but it also interferes with oil and gas production and jeopardizes thousands of American jobs. Texas grapefruit is now headed to Vietnam. Earlier this year, the U.S. Department of Agriculture and other government agencies convinced Vietnam to open its market to U.S.-grown grapefruit, and Texas citrus exporters see the opportunity. USDA's Foreign Agricultural Service recently highlighted the opportunity this presents to Wonderful Citrus, which has offices in Texas. President Zach Lafitte said Wonderful Citrus and their grower partners are excited for the opportunity to delve into the new market. The U.S. is one of the leading grapefruit-producing countries, with exports reaching nearly $33 million last year. For the Texas Farm Bureau Radio Network, I'm Jessica Domel. The 2018 Farm Bill expires in just a few days, and it doesn't look like we're going to have a new one anytime soon. Texas A&M economist Dr. Joe Outlaw says things are a mess in Congress right now. If there is compromise, you might lose the Speaker of the House. If there is compromise, there are going to be people who are going to be unhappy. The debt ceiling deal passed earlier this year put everything behind the eight ball in terms of getting the farm bill done. When I saw the outcome of the debt ceiling, I said I didn't think we'll get a farm bill for a couple of years. I still stand by that. And Outlaw says the possible government shutdown isn't helping the farm bill either. The combination of a very wet spring and a very dry summer has elevated the wildfire threat on the Texas High Plains. James Hunt has the story from Amarillo. As we all know, we've had a very strange year weather-wise in the Texas High Plains, an extremely rainy spring, followed by what was, for the most part, a very dry summer. Certainly, the weather has provided a lot of challenges for our farmers, but it's also raising another concern, vulnerability to wildfire. Here's how Mike Gittinger with the National Weather Service office in Amarillo describes the situation. Because we dried out so bad, we have cured fuels. You know, normally the first freeze triggers the process where we start drying that grass fuel out, but we have areas that are dried out right now. And so we're already having fire issues. And so our peak fire season, our fire season's, you know, from late October through the spring until we green up, hopefully. And a lot of times we don't have much of a fire season in the fall, but this year, unless we start getting some moisture, we're already cured. So if we get dry, windy days, you know, right now, even though it's only September and, you know, October, those months, we can have some bad fire days early on. And there's more fuel because of the rain we had earlier. It's not crazy fuel like 2015 produced with the amount of rain, but it's normal or a little above normal in places in the grass fuels. And we didn't have that last year. There was very little grass. So there's going to be more of a fire danger when we have the conditions set up until we you know, hopefully get in a more regular pattern of moisture. Once again, that was Mike Gittinger with the National Weather Service office in Amarillo. As he mentioned, there have already been some wildfire outbreaks in our region recently, including one earlier this month that grew to more than a thousand acres and forced evacuations in the eastern panhandle town of LaFours. It's a good time to brush up on safety precautions. I'm James Hunt on the Texas Farm Bureau Radio Network. Farming during a drought can be a real challenge. 
Tom Nicoletti visits with a Texas farmer who's making the most of every drop of water. My guest today is Barry Evans. He is a farmer in Swisher County in the town of Crest in the Texas Panhandle, where he grows cotton, grain sorghum, and winter wheat. And uh, Barry, uh, one of your farming practices is uh, how to sustainably farm when the water is scarce, either lack of precipitation or lack of irrigation uh, with the Ogallala Aquifer, uh, of course, depleting over uh, many, many years. So what's your strategy? Well, as the Ogallala has declined and we do have a lot less irrigation, water, capturing rainfall is critical. That's the number one, two, and three thing that we do is capture rainfall, and that's the most important thing. So what I'm doing is I have adopted a a no-till with a crop rotation. I typically rotate cotton and grain sorghum. Um, Sometimes I'll put wheat in there depending on on what's happening. But I, I really want the grain sorghum to capture moisture, to help create some residue on the ground, to help capture rainfall, and and just to create that residue on the surface. Sounds like you're either completely or mostly dry land. I'm mostly dry land. That has been a change over the last 25 years. I used to be mostly irrigated, and and as our water has declined, I've converted to to dry land. Of course, part of it is is we had to, but part of it's a constant decision. I could tell years ago that, that drilling more wells was not the long-term answer. It was a short-term answer, but not a long-term answer. And I decided I had to adapt, make some changes, and learn how to farm without the irrigation water and, and adopt systems that would work whenever we don't have irrigation. I'm Tom Nicoletti with the Texas Farm Bureau Radio Network. Extreme South Texas got a short break from the hot weather. Jim Hearn has this update from the Rio Grande Valley. An early season cool front has pushed through extreme south Texas, cutting daytime high temperatures about 10 degrees, and it's even brought us a little rain. Now, the reservoir levels continue to drop. Falcon is now down to 9.6% full, and the outlook is that it will be lower. Amistad Reservoir at 34.4% full, continues a slow but steady decline. The recent rains have not helped the water levels at the reservoirs, but have lessened the wildfire chances. Since our last report, we've had about 2,000 acres burned in western Hidalgo County. Our spring onion planting season will start in less than 30 days. Lack of irrigation water could be a concern as the onion crop will have to be pre-watered. Now, with the dry conditions, we've had no pre-irrigation water uh, may be available, but we'll certainly have to make do. Our citrus crop is also progressing along. The harvest of early oranges, that will also start in mid-October. The crop is about on a two- to three-week irrigation schedule, which is keeping all of our irrigation crews real busy. Now, the harvest of salad greens continues cabbage, carrots, and kale. Our tropical season, well, it's still been lackluster for the western Gulf of Mexico. Water temperatures still are 85 degrees plus. The latest activity has all been centered on the Atlantic side. Rapid intensification of any of those tropical systems in the Gulf has been evident. For Texas Ag Today, this is Jim Hearn in the Rio Grande Valley. 
The Texas Fish Art Contest is now underway. I'm Jessica Dolmel and I'll have more coming up on Texas Ag Today. And the United States is getting close to finishing the battle against scrapie in sheep. Veterinarian Dr. Bob Judd has more on that coming up next, right here on Texas Ag Today. Howdy neighbors, Commissioner Sid Miller here. The Texas Department of Agriculture's Farm Fresh Network connects local producers with schools to provide fresh food for our students. If you're a farmer, rancher, producer, sign up at farmfreshnetwork.org. Texas has lost over 2 million acres of agricultural land in the last 25 years. That's a threat to family farms, our economy, and our food supply. This is State Representative Dwayne Burns, and I'm here with my friend, Super Bowl champ, and Dallas Cowboy legend, Jay Novacek. You know, I've been a real cowboy my whole life, so I'm asking everyone to go out and vote for Proposition 1, the right to farm amendment that this guy, Dwayne Burns, actually wrote. Whether you're a cowboy or not, this is important to all Texans. We all need access to safe and affordable food in the future. Proposition 1 protects our family farms and ranches so they can grow our food right here in Texas. On November 7th, please head to the polls and vote for Proposition 1, the Food for Texas Amendment. Yeah, come on, Texas. Let's do it Jay's way. Vote for Prop 1 and then spread the word with your friends and family. Political ad paid for by Right to Farm Texas PAC. Learn more about Proposition 1 at righttofarmtexas.com. That's right, the number 2, farmtexas.com. Political ad authorized by Right to Farm Texas PAC. We're keeping you informed on everything happening in Texas agriculture on Texas Ag Today. The United States is getting close to finishing a 70-year battle against scrapie in sheep. Dr. Bob Judd says they now need the help of sheep producers to finish the job. There are still cases of scrapie present in the United States, and authorities of the United States Department of Agriculture, or USDA, need your help in finding them. One of the most difficult aspects of the scrapie eradication program is finding the remaining cases of the disease. So if you have sheep or goats that exhibit signs of the disease, contact your local veterinarian or the USDA Veterinary Services office. Signs of scrapie include wobbling when walking, tremors, severe itching, or other neurological signs. Most will also develop head pressing, stargazing, in which they appear to be looking up at nothing in particular, wool or hair pulling, and the inability to rise followed by death. Affected animals are usually two to five years old, and sheep usually survive one to six months after infection, while some may be found dead. Once an animal in a herd is found to be infected, exposed animals that are high risk or potentially the entire herd may need to be depopulated and disinfection performed. Susceptibility to the infection does vary greatly as there are some flocks more susceptible than others as 30% of the United States sheep are genetically susceptible to scrapie. Researchers are studying the possibility of genetic resistance in goats, but at this point, all goats are considered to be susceptible. There is no charge for collecting and testing the samples by the USDA, and the goal is to test 40,000 sheep and goats per year, and they need your help to find these animals and eradicate the disease from this country. I'm Dr. Bob Judd. This is the Texas Farm Bureau Radio Network. The Texas Fish Art Contest is now underway. Jessica Domel tells more about it in today's Wildlife Report. 
The Texas Freshwater Fishery Center is now accepting applications for the Texas Division of Wildlife Forever's annual Fish Art Contest. The contest, which is open to students in grades K through 12, is part of an international conservation education program designed to foster youth interest in fisheries and fishing. Tom Lang, director of the Fishery Center, said the Fish Art Contest does a tremendous job of exposing students across Texas to the wonders of fish and fisheries resources through the nexus of art. He said they always look forward to this time of year when they are once again amazed by the outstanding work and artistic interpretations of young Texans. To enter the contest, students simply need to create a piece of artwork depicting a wild fish found in Texas and fill out an entry form. Those in grades 4 through 12 will also need to write a one-page creative writing piece on the fish. Physical artwork must be between 8 by 10 inches and 9 by 12 inches and mailed to the Texas Freshwater Fishery Center in Athens. Those entries must be postmarked by February 28, 2024. The winners of the contest in Texas will be entered into Wildlife Forever's National Art Contest. Wildlife Forever notes that students should keep in mind that dolphins, whales, and sea turtles are not fish and are not eligible for the contest. Otherwise, students can depict any wild fish species, fresh or salt water. Again, the deadline to have artwork postmarked is February 28th. Contest details and the address of the Fishery Center are available on the Texas Parks and Wildlife Department website. There, simply search Fish Art Contest. For the Texas Farm Bureau Radio Network, I'm Jessica Domel. We saw a nice bounce back in the cattle market on Thursday, while corn and cotton closed higher as well. We'll take a look at all the livestock, cotton, grain, energy, and financial markets coming up next. Keep it right here on Texas Ag Today. Well, howdy, neighbors. Commissioner Sid Miller here. The Texas Park Agriculture's Farm Fresh Network connects local producers with schools to provide fresh food for our students. If you're a farmer, rancher, producer, sign up at farmfreshnetwork.org. The 2023 Texas Cattle Feeders Association Annual Convention will be here before we know it. TCFA invites you to this year's convention, October 8th through the 10th, at the Gaylord Texan in Grapevine, Texas. Find more information by visiting tcfa.org. We're giving you the market information you need on Texas Ag Today. We saw a nice bounce back in the cattle futures market on Thursday after two days of very sharp losses. Now, of course, we didn't make up those losses, but we did make up a nice chunk of them. October live cattle were up $1.60 on Thursday to close at $186.50. December up $225 at $190.42. And February live cattle up $222, $194.62. Same thing on the feeder cattle. Now, the September contract going off the board, it was up 80 cents, 252.32. The October up 247 at 254.72. November feeders up 287 to close at 257.67. Cash fed cattle market this week, selling cattle here in the Southern Plains at 183. That's steady with last week's average. In the north, dressed cattle sold for $2.90 to $2.92. That's one to two dollars lower. Boxed beef prices mixed on Thursday. Choice was up 53 cents, 301.48. Select down 29 
at 278.22. Now let's check the auction barns. We're walking the pens with Larry Marble. Wayne Geisweit, Gillespie Livestock. Wayne, how'd the sheep and goat sale go this week? Pretty good day, considering a couple of our main buyers were out. Uh, Softhead was in uh, in Turkey, and uh, another guy wasn't buying a whole lot. Held the market up real good all the way through. We had about twenty five hundred. The land market was real good. Most of the better lands bring from two fifty to two eighty five or ninety. And a few little light ones bring up over three dollars. Uh, that was the new crop type fleece kind, uh, longer fleece kind, trying to bring two thirty, two fifty, uh, weighing sixty to seventy seventy five pounds. Uh, I did see a little strength in the bigger lambs. Uh, some of those better show lambs bring uh, 150 to, to 185 or 190. The market is still pretty, pretty tough on the use. Parker use uh, Dr. 50 to 75 or 80. And we'll use about the same. People may be up to 100. The coats, uh, the any deal is still pretty pretty hard to sell. Any, uh, it's a drought, and there's just not many people wanting to get any replacement type nannies. But Parker nannies mostly bring from 80 to $1.10 with some of the plus you ones up to $1.50. The kid deal, the Peter kids uh, didn't have those $4 type kits today, but they were bringing 3 and a half to three seventy-five. dollars uh, the very good ones. Uh, the 40 to 60 pound kids kind of bringing $2.50, uh, all three kids. 320. Uh, the heavier kids, the belly kids, you know, have a rough time. Most of them bring it to 230 or 40, between 75, 80 pounds. Uh, billies, a little more activity on the billies today. Uh, look at most of the billies, which you're bringing well over $2 up to 235. So we were tickled considering the situation we're in today. Uh, basically, it all held up pretty close to steady. There might have been a few weak spots here and there. Wayne, tell all these good folks how to get a hold of you. We're at 830-997-4394. Good to talk to you, Wayne. We'll talk to you later. All right. Thank you, Larry. Bye-bye. And neighbor, it's good to talk to you every day right here on Walking the Pins, Texas Farm Bureau Radio Network. I'm Larry Marble. You're listening to us right this second on Texas Ag Today. Thank you, Larry. Back over to the futures market now where we saw a nice jump in the hog market on Thursday. October lean hogs up $1.82 at eighty three ninety five. December hogs up two seventy five at seventy five fifty two. Class three milk steady to lower. The nearby September was unchanged at eighteen thirty eight a hundred weight, while October milk was down seven sixteen seventy three a hundred. We still see a lot of support underneath the cotton market as we saw some contracts close above eighty nine cents. That's the second highest close this year. The December contract was up 41 points, 88.71. March cotton up 45 at 89.25. May cotton up 50 points at 89.53. Corn market just continues its slow, steady move higher. December corn up five and a quarter, 488 and a half. March up five cents, 503 and a quarter. May corn up five at 511 and three quarters. But the wheat market just can't seem to find a bottom. There is a lot of cheap wheat on the world market right now, essentially shutting us out on wheat exports, and that continues to pressure both hard and soft wheat prices. December Kansas City wheat dropped another 9.5 to close at 6.85 a bushel. December Chicago wheat down three quarters, 5.78 and three quarters. In the energy markets, November natural gas was up four cents, two ninety-three. November West Texas crude down a dollar ninety-eight at ninety-one seventy a barrel. The financial markets were higher Thursday afternoon. The Dow up hundred eighty-two points at thirty-three thousand seven thirty-two. The Nasdaq up hundred forty-five at thirteen thousand two thirty-eight. The S and P up thirty-six points at four thousand three ten. 
That wraps up our look at the markets, and that wraps up this episode of Texas Ag Today. My name's Kerry Martin. Hope to see you back here next time as we cover the most important industry in this greatest state in the U.S. of A., Texas agriculture. Thanks for listening to Texas Ag Today. Be sure to subscribe to our podcast on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, or Spotify. For more Texas Ag news and information, check out our website at texasfarmbureau.org or tfbradio.com. Texas Ag Today is a production of the Texas Farm Bureau Radio Network.